Welcome to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI, sponsored by Automation Anywhere. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Keith Nelson, the Global Head of Public Sector for Automation Anywhere, Tim Persons, the Chief Scientist at the Government Accountability Office, John Felstead, the Chief of Enterprise Integration and Technology Services at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect of the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Bureau of Fiscal Service at the Treasury Department. Gentlemen, welcome to the panel. Let me set some context for our discussion. The most recent update from the Office of Management and Budget on the President's management ad agenda shows just how automation has taken hold across the government. OMB says out of more than 100 initiatives under the leaner government portion of the PMA, the 24 C civilian CFO Act agencies reported 30 projects using robotics process automation, artificial intelligence, or other innovative software and agency financial management offices are right in the middle of this transformation. For example, the Department of Housing and Urban Development used RPA to improve financial controls and reduce the time required to prepare financial statements. OMB says automation allowed HUD to cut nearly six months and more than 2,000 hours of employee time out of the process. Over at the Social Security Administration is another good example. It developed software to capture improper payments and automated a remittance system collecting more than $1.25 million in program debt. These are just but two examples of how RPA can help CFOs and agency financial managers improve the accuracy of data input and calculations to avoid improper payments and errors. At the same time, federal employees are becoming more comfortable with the quote-unquote robots taking their jobs. The small wins by HUD, SSA, and many other agencies are proving that when a bot starts doing these remedial or menial tasks, employees are freed up to do more important, even more satisfying work. Still, RPA is not a panacea. Like any technology, there are challenges, Forster Research found primary challenges include RPA or developing a business case, governance, organizational alignment, and the lack of culture framework for managing automation. So how can agency financial managers and others overcome these challenges and take full advantage of robotics process automation and other emerging technologies? Well, that's what our panelists are going to tell us today. Once again, my panelists are Keith Nelson, the Global Head of Public Sector for Automation Anywhere, Tim Persons, the Chief Scientist at the Government Accountability Office, John Felstead, the Chief of Enterprise Integration and Technology Services at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect of the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Bureau of Fiscal Service for the Treasury Department. Tim, let me start with you, Chief Scientist at GAO. Uh, talk a little bit about RPA, how's that fit into what GAO is doing, looking at, you're, you have the great title of Chief Scientist, talk yeah, about it. Yeah, no, thanks Jason. I think uh, you set it up well when you talked about big challenge problems like improper payments and things. Uh, at GAO, there's a story about sort of the internal support uh, to our processes, like any other agency. We want to be more efficient. That's, that's a key part of our uh, agency DNA and our mission. Uh, but the other thing is, as we, uh, as we continue to do our normal job of helping Congress in its oversight role and evaluate other federal agencies, is getting a sense for how do we attack some of these grand challenge problems like improper payments and things. So our strategy really focuses on, uh, I'm sure uh, much of the audience is familiar with the uh, people process technology, what we're inserting is a people process data technology in that. And I think it's important to recognize the value of data and what it can now bring. And I think the narrative here, the, the correct one from a top level, is that uh, adding data, becoming um, more analytic in your operations, as is the basis of the intent of RPA, can create a lot of uh, opportunities to essentially augment your staff uh, to reskill and upskill them. It's not a, a story of the robots taking over the world and help really push up the, the value proposition of, of what our, our agency staff do and, and what they bring. Uh, it's more than just cost savings. I think it's quality of life and taking out that friction. So in our strategy, we do have now a chief data scientist at GAO uh, and uh, we founded an innovation lab and part of that is create a space to ask the questions or take a problem-centered approach like a grand challenge on improper's. What how do you define improper?s How do we uh, put computational uh, systems around that? How do we how do we look at that? But at the same time, also look at our own business process uh, type operations and look at that. Uh, I think um, I'll just uh, close here on this segment to say that I think that we really are talking about a macro shift from a sort of a lot of the compliance work that is inherently manual, uh, friction oriented, if you will. Uh, and turning more into an enterprise risk management framework. ERM is, is out there, but I think a lot of these tools are bringing to us, uh, led by RPA and then other advanced, more advanced ML and AI systems, machine learning, AI, artificial intelligence. 
to come on in and help us actually manage risk at an enterprise level. And that, I think, is what's exciting for not only the CFOs, but the chief risk officers and any of the uh, agency uh, leadership uh, with this technology. You bring up a key piece here, moving away from that compliance framework. We've been hearing about this for years and years and years. RPA kind of lets you do that because you can just tell the bot, hey, does this box check out? And if it does, let's move us on. That, that's, the, that's the value we're seeing about from whether it's financial management or, or HR or, or acquisition, that's the, the value, the benefit. That's right, and, and that's where, again, I want to emphasize that this isn't a elimination of the human element of these things. Uh, the uh, RPAs or the bots are going to have to be trained in some way. You, you just can't push sort of an easy button, as it were, and bots are going to magically appear and then know what to do, and they have to be trained, they have to be uh, quality assured, they have to be monitored. Uh, and I think, uh, again, there's no shortage of complexity of tasks that we are facing uh, as a federal government and even the public sector or, or uh, wider private sector. So I think that there's uh, a lot of opportunity for humans to become more algorithmic but more stewards of the bots, not necessarily replaced by the bots, but upskilled and augmented by them. Let me turn to John over at DLA. You have the, Tim, Tim focused maybe on the internal processes, people process technology. You're, you're probably at DLA a lot, a lot about the process side of it and as, the, as someone who's leading the RPA effort. Talk about where DLA is and using bots to really if you will, augment the staff? So, so right now we have approximately 60 automations in place that are contributing the equivalent of about 80 FTEs to the workforce annually right now. And we still have a 60 case of backlog that we have to work. Uh, as far as the governance goes, if we were starting from scratch and, and uh, us along with uh, quite a few other agencies, we're sharing our information, our policies, what we're coming up with. We had to start from nothing <coughs> and, and build these policies out. Uh, the, I think the scary part for the information assurance people or cybersecurity is <laughs> called nowadays is, uh, you know, we say, well, a bot can do this and that, but you get into the separation of duties thing. And they're like, well, a human can't have both an accounts receivable and accounts payable role. Well, it's different with a bot. The bot's not doing that thinking. It does exactly what you tell it to do. So we're fighting for the bot to have multiple roles. That's one of those areas that we're having difficulty and we're trying to push the governance. I liken it back to the days of VLANs. VLANs are everywhere today, but back in the beginning, it used to make you got to separate your data, your voice, and, and your uh, video, right? Now you create a VLAN, it's logically separated. I think we'll get that where we get there with uh, RPA at some point. You mentioned 60 automations in place, but you have a 60 case backlog, meaning you have people who are waiting in line, raising their hand, going. And, and we've got more coming all the time. So. Part of our way of educating the workforce and getting these is we do what we call roadshows or workshops. And we go all across the United States yeah, uh, doing these. We did seven last year, which is where a majority of our backlog came from. Part of that is we go out, we help people understand what exactly RPA is. Then we work them through filling out a form that we've created on their use case, what they think they might be able to automate the process. We still have to, you know, just because somebody has an idea, you still got to go back and see if it's viable, is it worth pursuing. So we talk them through that and then we have demos. So in the beginning we took anything we could, but now with having almost 60 automations, <clears throat> when we go out and we do these road shows, we usually have a demo that we can show that's pertinent to the audience that we're seeing and that helps a lot. And once people start saying, hey, you can do that, then they start saying, hey, can you do this? And we're like, well, yeah, I, it's very rare to find something that RPA can't automate. Even you made Keith a little happy over there, by the way. Did I? Just a little bit. There was a smile just started to creep. Real quick, because I want to jump to Adam, but what, what's one use case that you're using RPA for? Just give me a quick example. Uh, There's 60 of them, so pick yeah, one. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's so many of them, I don't really get down into the weeds on them. Um, so energy, that's a big one at DLA, right? They're probably the biggest uh, purchaser of, of fuel in DOD. So prices change frequently, and there was, used to be a, 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 quite a few people who would have to go in, they get the prices, go out and check. Then they'd have to fill out all the forms and get the cleans in. And then and the prices change again. Out. They could change while they're doing this. <clears throat> now RPA goes out after hours. It's doing these things. It's filling in all the paperwork for them. It's there for their signature and ready for them to execute. Very cool. Adam from uh, Treasury, you guys have been on the leading edge of a lot of these emerging technologies. Talk about how you guys are looking at RPA and, and other automation. Sure. Uh, so our journey began 2017. <clears throat> we performed a, we call our strategy study and looked at uh, emerging technologies and where we could drive uh, both savings and uh, greater effectiveness of financial management processes. RPA uh, was one of the initial technologies that was identified 
and in our study, we estimated that at full implementation, uh, financial management savings could be anywhere between $500 million and $750 million annually. Uh, we started uh, within the Bureau of the Fiscal Service uh, because they are a uh, partner of us and we work together, so it's kind of to, easy to bring them into the, to the scenario. And we explored the opportunities. Since that time, we've stood up what's called a digital workforce support organization that is responsible for deploying the bots. We've started within one of our organizations, uh, what we call fiscal accounting, which is responsible for our shared services. And the hope is that we are able to expand to additional uh, organizations within the Bureau of the Fiscal Service uh, on an ongoing basis. And generally speaking, when you use the bots, they're, they're, you're applying them to kind of that, that menial, that, that redundancy, that transaction-based work? Or is there something else because of how well, what you guys do at the Bureau of Fiscal Service? I would characterize it a little different. I would say they're standard processes that are repetitive, uh, but also can drive great benefit for the customer. Uh, and so those would be uh, items that we would target first. Also ones that I would say have are very well documented. So if we have to go and document the process, that would add time to the deployment. So we want to start with the low-hanging fruit. All right, a common refrain when we, when we talk about new technology, but, but how quickly it catches on. And Keith, let me bring you into the conversation because that's one of the things we were kind of talking about before we got started is how quickly RPA is picked up. React to what you heard from, from our panel so far. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, variety of use cases and deployments mm -hmm. and, and how it's, how it's helping uh, each agency kind of either work its internal processes more successfully or help more customer facing. And I think that's, that, that was what really um, excites me a lot about the future of RPA and government is it really, it can and, and it is helping a lot of the back, internal, back office internal processes, but it could also really help with uh, citizen facing services. Um, citizens are a lot farther along um, than than we than the government's prepared to to address in terms of in terms of speed getting same day delivery on certain items or uh, transparency expecting to know that something went through very quickly and they don't have the the kind of patience that maybe government has expected them to have on well we'll we'll get back to you um, in due time you know the whole DMV model is going to be have have to be scrapped and. Uh, and, and something much more efficient and effective is out there. Uh, but the other, the other piece, and again, when it comes to financial management, this resonates, I know, with all of the folks here, is the, the reliability. As the RPA doesn't introduce errors, it follows the, the prescribed uh, uh, rules, much more than, than uh, you can always depend on uh, even, the, even the best. And a lot of times, because the work is so redundant and so menial, that people kind of get distracted and lose focus. And so errors can easily happen. And that's why uh, improper payments is a great uh, area for RPA to help out with. Because um, if, you, if, you're making, if you're making payment errors out there, it's, it's quite a burden to go collect that back. It's much easier to do it right the first time and, and everybody be all, all on board with that. John, jump in. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up another point because it seems like a lot of talk about RPA and there's a lot around the finance. Another place is it can help keep you out of trouble. The amount of FOIA requests we get, <laughs> right? And you've got a certain amount of time to respond to those. Now we've automated that where, you know, the bots are going out. They're going out looking for the FOIA requests. They bring them down. They distribute them to the right people. And that's been a huge uh, benefit to our Office of General Counsel. So, and as a matter of fact, they were pushing hard. We've given it to them, and they sing our praises all over now. That's, so. It's always nice to hear when the lawyers are on your Absolutely. side. It's, it's, you know what's <laughs> nice about RPA is you actually get to see the benefit of your work, right? right. Those, those people are already your best advocates as soon as you've done something for them. I want to go back to something that Keith said, and maybe Keith start there. When you talk to government clients, you said it's nice that the back office is really in, enjoying it, like the FOIA example. Yeah. But what about the front office? If you this, is, are you having those conversations, or are you see still more focused on that back side, back office? Look, I mean, our company's been around for 16 years, and back office is a great place to start. It's it's, I guess I would consider it a little more of a safe, safer environment. If something breaks, well, not that many people know about it. Um, but once you start trusting that these uh, bots can actually deliver uh, what you expect them to do, you start, and we've seen this in the commercial side, 
you start relying and, and, and putting some of your customer-facing operations in there, the same kind of transactional, redundant stuff, you can put it out there because you can depend that whether it's capturing money or interacting with customers, this is something you can depend on. And especially as the technology improves, as you can do more and more with artificial intelligence plus, a, <coughs> plus RPA and use other emerging technologies that are out there and kind of pair them up, in certain instances you can do more and more uh, critical mission-driven operations using automation. Adam, let me ask you to jump in on this as well because because of what your role is and what the Bureau of Fiscal Service does, you're both internal, you work with the government, but then you also you work with industry and you process Keith's invoices. Is that an area that you're saying, okay, wh where else can we apply, whether it's RPA or another type of emerging technology automation to, to help on, on, if you will, the citizen side, or in this case, the business side? We're really looking at, well, one, both how can we use RPA internal to Treasury, but then how can we use it uh, outside of the Treasury as well? Uh, Keith brought up, uh, artificial intelligence. So what we really want to try and do over time is maybe move along the intelligent automation spectrum. So when we look at an RPA and a bot, again, what I used, said earlier was I'm looking at standardized, repetitive uh, activity that really don't require a lot of decision making. But as we start venturing into other areas, there is an element of decision uh, that needs to be considered. And there are opportunities with machine learning to train these bots to use some of the judgments that a human would make. But again, it would be kind of a standardized, repetitive way to do this. All right, it's a great point and one we're gonna jump into in the next segment, so let's take a quick break. You're listening to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI, sponsored by Automation Anywhere on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Automate business processes and help your government organizations deliver better support to citizens. Robotic process automation, also known as RPA, is not a buzz term. The results are real. And Automation Anywhere is the right technology platform and partner to help your agency deploy your digital workforce. We're the global leader in robotic process automation and work with the world's largest enterprises and government organizations. Our user-friendly RPA platform allows you to easily create and deploy bots to complete routine repetitive tasks with no coding skills and IT support required. With the highest grade of security and real-time performance insight, Automation Anywhere RPA will maximize your productivity and give your people more time to focus on the more complex critical objectives. Ready to amplify your productivity and lower costs? Get started with a free trial at automation.com slash public sector. Your digital workforce awaits at automationanywhere.com slash public sector. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI, sponsored by Automation Anywhere on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Keith Nelson, the Global Head of Public Sector for Automation Anywhere, Tim Persons, the Chief Scientist at the Government Accountability Office, John Felstead, the Chief of Enterprise Integration and Technology Services at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect at the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Bureau of Fiscal Service for the Treasury Department. We, we ended last segment talking about really the, some of the reasons why RPA is moving forward, right? It's, it's the back office, it's starting to get into the citizen services side. But one of the big things that I think that, that we can't overlook and we should, should go back to is when we look back at the 25, 30 years of technology and government, and there's a lot of, if you will, uh, uh, broken promises, lots of mismanaged efforts, lots of, lot, lots of things that came up and said, oh, this is the next best, best thing, and then never kind of fulfilled its, 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 its uh, ex expectations. So Keith, jump in a little bit and talk a little bit about why RPA, do you think now is the right time, and why it's taking off? Yeah, um, well, we, our company started in the commercial sector and has, has recently moved uh, strongly into the, into the federal public sector space, but, um, this is not necessarily an emerging technology, when you're, especially when you're talking to commercial enterprises that have really deployed uh, RPA and um, intelligent automation in a great way. So, so there's a lot of lessons learned and there's actually a lot of practical software code that can be grabbed and slightly tweaked. <clears throat> so you're not necessarily starting from, from uh, you know, word go. You actually can take uh, 
some code that's already been developed for a very similar use case and put it into um, government processes. I mean, government has a lot of the same uh, processes that uh, commercial enterprises face. And, and we know because we have lots of uh, government officials that go to private sector and back uh, and they adapt uh, some of those best practices. So, so that's, a, that's a great way that, that's why this has kind of been quick to take off. Uh, there's not necessarily a lot of programming done. If you really start with some basic um, automation processes, you can get it going very quickly. Uh, some, of the, uh, some of the software is built so that actual business users who know where their daily uh, log jams occur, they can actually program their own bots and, and then you know, get it tested and, and looked at by, by IT. But if they program their own bots to say, I want to cut some of these steps out of my daily um, headache and prepare a, a, a certain spreadsheet to, handle, to hand off to the next person, they can do that. It's not that hard to code. So um, that's, those are some of the reasons why this is taking off. So two things I just want to follow up with you on. The first is um, I've heard examples in the government where the person who used to be doing this task, whatever the, the, the redundant transactional task is, now they're coding. <clears throat> They've been kind of brought into it and say, hey, we've we put them through a training session and now they're helping others with RPA. So it's, it's a fascinating piece. And the second thing is, you talk about the code that's out there. Are we talking open source? Or are we talking proprietary or, or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. <clears throat> I mean, we've, we've put together a um, uh, kind of an industrial bot store where we have over 500 bots that have been built by by some some automation employees, uh, automation anywhere employees, but some customers that have put it up there. Some don't want to; they consider it proprietary information. But certainly, when you're talking about government, there, there's a sharing environment. People join government because they want to share and they want to learn from each other. Um, so, uh, by putting by by making that available for even if it's just specific to a single department because of the network security issues, that's fine. Uh, just it, it helps in a couple of things. It helps you stop redundant bot building right. um, because you're almost guaranteed to have two people in two corners of a department doing the same thing, um, and you you don't want to waste that time. Um, so it can help you kind of control that. And is and secondly, uh, it, it's really that's the key to scaling is to actually have what we call citizen developers or business user developers. If they have to wait for IT to get back to them and say, oh, let me understand your requirements, let me try to figure out you know, what, what your process is. I don't really know your job, so I got to learn their process. That's a very lengthy uh, setup, um, and it's just it's not ideal for scaling. Um, so those are two of the areas I'd, I'd talk about. Important points, Adam, jump in a little bit as well, <clears throat> because one of the things that uh, you guys started a couple years ago now, and you're seeing the evolution of bots and, and the impact, were you surprised by how quickly it got picked up throughout the Bureau of Fiscal Service? Uh, I think yes and no. Yes and um, no. I, I think surprised that uh, when we approached the staff about creating the bots, that they were very open to this. Uh, we talk about the fear of, you know, is this bot going to take over my job? But the way it was presented is this is really going to give you the opportunity to do more analytical work than what you'd be doing if you continue to work on this repetitive process. So that was a bit surprising. I think just given the, the desire for cost savings these days, I would say no, it wasn't that surprising because I think people were looking for an ROI that could be achieved much sooner and I think that possibility exists here um, and allows other people to do um, different functions than they were doing previously. And, and Tim, let me bring you back into the conversation as well. From GAO's perspective, as you, as you are looking at using this type of technology, it, it's nice to kind of have that excitement over the bots, but there's things that have to happen to make the bots work, and we'll get to data in a second, but it's also the, the business process change. I think you guys are trying to see some of that. Yes, exactly right. Uh, this is uh, largely a change management <coughs> conversation. We, we've seen this before in different variants, and, and um, so we know we can come through it. The key issue is how quickly we can adapt to, to the change and really leverage the change. It's not so much that we have to fight it, uh, but we should sort of ride it uh, using the sort of the wave analogy. If we can, we can leverage it, I think there's a lot of opportunity on that. Uh, that's part of why I talk about you know people process data technology. We'll get to the data. 
But I think um, what we've often seen is where the converse happens. People, folks start with the technology and then try and drive that into into things. And then people are at the very end and, and are left out. And that's where you have cultural friction. You have folks saying, look, you're trying to outsource me, replace me, and so on. I think that's the wrong approach. I think the success that we've seen, like in what Adam's been doing, what's going on in DLA, is largely because you can start out with sort of lower hanging fruit. You can you can start out with the people and say, look, let me just understand your pain points. Um, I engage with a lot of uh, civil servants and I can invariably uh, think of all the, the things as they say, well, my life would be better with XYZ kind of change. And oftentimes those things come in part complaint and part uh, problem statement. So uh, part of the a strategy that we're following just for our own internal methods, but we would endorse in terms of innovation process overall, is just really, what is the problem? How do we really define that? Uh, and how can we leverage the people who are gonna be the ones that most understand it? Keith mentioned already, you know, some people, if you're coding already on your shop, then you're starting to help solve that problem because the problem owner is also being part of the solution. They could be augmented by uh, the quants or the data types, uh, the computer engineers, those sort of folks. And there's a lot of opportunity but you walk into it from that direction. You do focus on the, the process and technology, but uh, I think it's, it has yielded large results and largely because of this, uh, Jason, as you were saying, this convergence of all these technologies, the massive amount of uh, bandwidth we have now that's largely or practically for free, the cloud storage, the, the devices we have uh, the, in, in the palm of our hand. And now you throw in what's coming and emerging in 5G, and now you're just talking about Internet of Things and everything else. So I think it's, uh, it's not if, but how we, we walk this journey together, and I think there's a lot of opportunity. John, I want to ask you to comment on something that Tim had mentioned. Uh, we've heard a couple times a low-hanging fruit conversation come up. Uh, you seem to have experienced people who want to eat the apple in one bite, right? They, they right. want to do too much. Talk a little bit about your philosophy and how you kind of are if we're encouraging them to just take a half a step back or a full step back. Correct. So we, I belong to a lot of the RPA, government consortiums, <coughs> working groups, and then a lot of the complaints are, are how difficult it is for some agencies just to get the program started. So at DLA, I was fortunate. We have, if you can't get your senior leadership involved in buying into this, then it's much more of a struggle. For me, it was the director, vice director, CIO. They embrace the innovation. They're pushing this forward. But if, let's say, and I work in the IT department. Let's say you work in the finance department. You see the benefits of running RPA, but your ID department has so many priorities that, that it's, it's not on their hit list, right? And they're not getting pressure from above to make it a priority. So my recommendation is that you start out on a thick client, you know, a laptop, you get the development software on there, you run it, and you go after just the low-hanging fruit, which is just the simplest things. Just start out with some, you know, small things, build up your portfolio of processes, and then you can start going around and showing other people, and when they can actually see it in action versus just talking about it. So we actually do these videos of the bots running, and we bring those out to those work groups so that people can see the way they work. And uh, we also... Uh, uh, we were talking about the sharing of, of the, uh, the, the, the coding the code, and everything yeah. else. So we have technical design doc documents as part of all the paperwork and governance that we have. And in there, it breaks down every step that that automation that that bot kicked off is running. We share that with other DOD agencies or federal agencies because, again, we are not the commercial world. We're not competitive. We're not you know, trying to outdo each other. We are trying to help each other, so we can reuse a lot of that code. I just want to put that are, out there. Are you, finding, that. are you finding people are reusing your code? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I get so many thank yous, and we put it out there like, absolutely, you need help, you need this. We'll put it, and not just, you, I mean, we had the Canadian government reaching out to us, telling us, how do we get this started? And I, I told them the same thing. Start off low-hanging fruit. Don't try to build, I mean, like we're year in. We're, we're way advanced <clears throat> into this at this point. But if... If you can, all you can do is a laptop, get the software on it, and you have somebody just running these automations and kicking them off and developing them from there, that just gets you started. Now you've got something to show the CIO or right. some of your senior management to get the buy-in. Look what this has done. Look what it saved me. Tim. And I just wanted to jump in and build on something John said, and it's come up in, in the other comments um, from uh, Adam and Keith, but I think this idea of taking some things offline, so you're not sort of getting in the way of the mission. You're trying to create the space to experiment. You need to have the ability to have useful failure, as it were, to try some things out. If it blows up, it's a small risk on that, but it could have huge upsides if you're able to take it off so that you're not in the uh, undesirable position of over-promising, under-delivering, a tech-centered, usually large check, focus, you know, being spent, focus coming in and telling operators how to do their things. I think 
the way the the important narrative you're hearing is how there's sort of a symbiosis between the data, the quant, the, those sort of people with the mission operators to understand their problem, take it offline, try some things, and then try and insert it in a way that is done in with them. And that's, I think, a key a cultural aspect. Keith, are you seeing that from your government clients that they want to do the 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 big things or the little things? Are they trying to do the proof of concepts and then moving it into production? A lot of times, uh, the successful formula, I think we've said, is a little bit of a proof of concept and, and, and show that and, and break, break, make the proof point and then build from there. Uh, this, is, this is just, it's an easier technology. You don't have to go through a lengthy, cumbersome requirements process. I mean, how many bots do you think DLA will wind up with? You don't know. Um, the, at, the end, at, at the end, at the end of the at the end of the line, so he, he didn't say, well, we got to figure out every process that needs to be automated, and this is how many bots we need to buy, uh, and this is how many licenses. No, he, he he just said, let's let's get enough to 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 work with to become comfortable to make it part of our infrastructure. You don't have to gut out any of your even the old legacy systems that may not be really working that well for you. RPA can help them uh, execute a lot better. Uh, you know, in the interim. Um, some people are doing that as a way to, to bridge that gap before they, they bring in a, a brand new ERP or something significant like that. This is a lot, of, this is a lot easier, a lot shorter term uh, exercise than that. So John, I got to ask, how many bots are you going to end up with? <laughs> I think, you know, so our goal for the first year was 50 automations, right? It's so, so our terminology, bots run the automation. Right, right. So automation <clears throat> or use cases, 50 was our goal for the first year. We got 53. Our goal for the next year is 100. But I so still 100 think more or 100 100 total? additional. Okay. So again, I said with those 53, we projected to give the equivalent contribution of 80 FTEs. So you can imagine with 100, you know, depending on what those processes do, it could be twice that. I, you know, there's no way of telling. But even with that, I still think we're scratching the surface of you know all the processes that are running. Uh, another important point to point out, uh, to point out here is that uh, when people go to do this, it, it, you got to educate them on it, it doesn't create a process, it doesn't fix a broken process. You've got to have a process. So if you start looking at areas like that, it's just gonna slow you down too. Go for where there's already a process, it's repetitive, and you'll be much better off and move much faster. Adam, jump in. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to add is that I think today in our maturity level with, with bots, we're kind of at the very early stages. When I started, I mentioned that we estimated somewhere between 500 million and 700, 50 million savings at full implementation. Going from 60 to 100 bots, there's gonna to need to be a huge jump uh, in activity. So one of the things that we are starting to do is maybe move away from what I might call more of a transactional bot view to an actual end-to-end -end business process view and begin to look at that end-to-end -end process like procure to pay or record to report and analyze that from an end-to-end -end standpoint see where bots may be a solution, see where the elimination of actually doing activity might be a solution, or look at some other type of automation that may be a higher and better use than the RPA bot. And that's really gonna be able to take us to the larger savings in the long term. And that's an interesting concept when you say move from transactional to end to end, or you have to map it out. Is, is that the process you have to go through to say, how do we start it from A and go to Z? <clears throat> well, yeah, it's part. So we, we've been using a fancier term. It used to be process map. Now it's journey map. Journey, of course. <laughs> and in the journey map, you're going to identify your pain points. And once you've identified those pain points, you need to make some decision as to how you want to treat that activity. It's unclear right now. Uh, John was mentioning you fill out a form when you want a bot created. You do the same <clears throat> for us. How that individual determined what they wanted to put on the form. What I'm suggesting is that if you kind of go through a journey mapping exercise, that would then feed what your request would be. And so again, it's unclear what's happening in advance of the form at the agencies, but if you look at the types of bots we're creating, my assumption is someone is saying, hey, this is a problem, it's repetitive, let's tackle this, but not doing it in the context of the larger business process it supports. All right, very interesting. We didn't touch upon data. When we come back in the next segment, we're going to jump into the data side of us. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI, sponsored by Automation Anywhere on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
automate business processes, and help your government organizations deliver better support to citizens. Robotic process automation, also known as RPA, is not a buzz term. The results are real. And Automation Anywhere is the right technology platform and partner to help your agency deploy your digital workforce. We're the global leader in robotic process automation and work with the world's largest enterprises and government organizations. Our user-friendly RPA platform allows you to easily create and deploy bots to complete routine repetitive tasks with no coding skills and IT support required. With the highest grade of security and real-time performance insight, Automation Anywhere RPA will maximize your productivity and give your people more time to focus on the more complex critical objectives. Ready to amplify your productivity and lower costs? Get started with a free trial at automation.com slash public sector. Your digital workforce awaits at automationanywhere.com slash public sector. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI. Sponsored by Automation Anywhere on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Keith Nelson, the Global Head of Public Sector for Automation Anywhere, Tim Persons, the Chief Scientist at the Government Accountability Office, John Felstead, the Chief of Enterprise Integration and Technology Services at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect at the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Bureau of Fiscal Service in the Treasury Department. We were talking in the last segment a little bit about the impact of RPA and one of the big issues that we haven't touched upon that I want to go down this path is around data. And data, it's kind of got mentioned, but data is really driving everything we do with any type of automation, any type of artificial intelligence. So let me start with Tim. You guys, GAO is a data agency for the most part. Yes. How are you guys ensuring that the data in is not garbage out? Right. So great question. Uh, there's perpetually, I will say, there's always going to be some amount of concern or you, one might say from a, uh, a quantitative or a data science perspective, some fuss about the data. There's, there's going to be some incompleteness to it. It might have some uh, uh, amount of error to it and so on. So you do have to care about what, what's going in. Garbage in, garbage out is not <coughs> solved magically by uh, an RPA, AI, ML, and so on. So uh, I think it's important. But Nonetheless, in today's world where there's a large amount of datification, there is a lot of imperfect data, and yet there's still been a lot of advances and benefits out of, out of data. And um, we at GAO, I had, had the chance to uh, lead two studies at GAO strategically about this technology, about data analytics innovation, as well as artificial intelligence writ large. And uh, data are, are the new oil. This is the data economy. And uh, it's, it's really about how we think about the data as an asset and in certain facets of it. Uh, we don't necessarily naively accept all of it on, on face value, but there is a, a key value in having key quantitative people, data engineers, data architects, and so on. Uh, I think that's a lot of the newness of, of what's, what's needing to be in, installed at these agencies. And I think you're seeing a macro, macro trend of the rec recognition of the importance of the data. And I think Hopefully, over like fine wine, over time, data will become better when it's used more, when it's shepherded more in terms of what goes in, uh, maybe more careful on the collect, uh, maybe more careful or sophisticated on the processing, error correction, and so on. So I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, here in this regard, and I think you're seeing it in the rise of the chief data officers around uh, the CFO Act agencies and so on. And that's the thing, don't let the... Perfect enemy yeah, of the good enough. Exactly. So that's, that's so when exactly it comes to right. data specifically. Yeah. Adam, talk about data because Bureau of Fiscal Service also another big data agency. Everything you guys get in from a financial standpoint, you have to kind of process through. And how have you guys dealt with that challenge? Uh, from a data standpoint, you know, right now we're really, uh, we, we need to look at the business processes themselves to understand where we are digitizing information and where we're not digitizing information. Uh, one of the interesting lessons learned was recently we were working with an agency who wanted to do a bot to get information into a treasury system. And when the agency briefed this out to our leadership, there was shock that we would design a system that required an agency to manually input data into that application. And you know, RPA is going to be one of many tools that is going to help us digitize the information. Uh, Tim used the phrase, uh, data's the new oil. I like to say data's the new water. So the greatest <laughs> civilizations in the world have been able to reclaim water and exploit that for their benefit. And I think that 
the future is data now. So the more that we have digitized, the more we will be able to do with that information, including identifying improper payments or just reviewing documentation to see if there's the possibility of an error in that. And uh, being able to look at that end-to-end -end process will also allow us to say, where am I going to get the most benefit out of digitizing the information that um, wasn't previously? Keith, you heard uh, both Adam and Tim talk about the importance of data. When you talk to your federal customers, are, or do they understand the importance of data, or are they garbage in, garbage out still? They're, they're all about uh, data quality, data integrity, uh, and also, I, I came from uh, a recent federal position at the Department of Transportation, and when I thought about data, I thought about data calls and the pain points of trying to chase down uh, bits of information. We're, Department of Transportation is a significant <coughs> grants agency. I think they do about $50 billion, $60 billion in grants every year. And so when you're trying to sum up what's going on with grants in a particular state or, or in a particular area, you got to go into 15, 20, 30, 40 different systems to get different bits, bits of data. And everything comes back on a manual spreadsheet, and there's always missing cells. <coughs> um, and so data calls um, is, is one of my top areas that uh, there should be some automation that helps out in there. I, I hope OMB is listening, right? Exactly. <laughs> At the very least. <coughs> Adam. I would add to, you know, RPA can help you automate things, but there's going to be a suite of tools that need to be deployed to help us connect the data to other data. So we were earlier talking about improper payments. Well, a good deal of the improper <coughs> payments are really things that occur in federally funded state administered programs. So how do we get a window into that? Uh, that's bigger than RPA, but those are areas where emerging technology is going to need to play a greater role than it has in the past in, in order for us to make greater headway into these challenges. Tim, is the GAO working through some of these challenges of data right now? Because a lot of times you depend on data from DLA or from Treasury. Yes, absolutely. And at the same time, you also have your own internal collection. Sure, and that's right, because we have to be stewards, uh, we are uh, stewards of uh, executive branch agency data, typically, so that, that means a lot to us. Uh, we've <coughs> been in the data analysis game for decades, so this is not new. We have uh, a whole group focused on uh, methodology, uh, as well as uh, um, highly trained statisticians and uh, data analysts just working on this issue to make sure that we're not falling into the garbage in, garbage out, how we ask the right questions, do we understand sort of the error bars around these, these particular things, and, and what can, can be said or not said uh, according to our um, quality assurance system as we do our work. So it's very important, and having that, uh, that, that key focus and leadership in that area has been key for GAO. It's just going to be even more pressing when you talk about very large data sets, how do you validate those sort of things or messier sets that come from uh, diff different disparate uh, parts and things. So there's, there's still work to do, but that is nonetheless a, a key focus. We know data is driving so much of this, but there also, the, the other piece that's driving the use of bots and, and, and why agencies have been successful is the impact, the benefits. We, we talked a little bit about it, but John, let me just turn to you on this discussion a little bit. Is DLA worried about the, the using bots because they don't have enough people, because they are facing retirement crunch, because there's too much work and not enough people? What's, what's the real reason why bots are catching on beyond how easy they are and, and the benefits we see so quickly? So DLA has a problem that I think all agencies have. There's more work to be done and there are people to do it. So yes, there is attrition through retirement or people just leaving to go into different areas. But uh, you know, the, the biggest problem is, is the amount of work that needs to be done. So again, if we can take off this repetitive work, this low-hanging fruit, mundane, repetitive work, and allow people to start working on the critical thinking, refocus what they're doing, it's a huge benefit to the agency, the efficiency of the agency. And in the end, that, uh, that means uh, you know, better support to the warfighter. You talked about you know, 60 bots. <clears throat> you talked about 60 bots equal maybe about 80 FTEs. Annually. How how do, you, how, do you, how do you measure that, like based on the work that they do, based on the number of transactions they process versus how many transactions I could process so or you? The, the formula DLA that's been accepted is, is essentially uh, how often that process runs, how, how many people it takes to run that process, right? And, and, and there's other little smaller qualifiers, but again, it's, 
That's what it relies on. And, you know, uh, the only thing that trumps that possibly is audit support. So right. that's the biggest driver is how many hours are we contributing to the workforce that tends to move it up on the priority list. Something like audit support where we can get something done to meet an NFR pushes something up above as well. Adam, jump in. <clears throat> One of the things that's driving the, the use within Treasury is that there are some services that that Treasury does for agencies that they don't get a choice in. <laughs> we, we make payments, we help arrange collection arrangements, things like that. Uh, but there are other services that Treasury provides that agencies can elect um, to come to us for. And right now, that business is growing. And the RPA, the bots, allows <coughs> us to grow the business without necessarily growing the workforce. Uh, so a lot of the bots right now are being used in entry-level positions where those individuals don't tend to stay in the jobs for a long time because they want to move on to another position. So we can put those bots in those entry-level positions and push the individuals to do other types of analysis and work for our customers. So it's really a great opportunity for someone who has a growing footprint in government. And Tim, jump in. Yeah, I just wanted to, I think the, the, the story that I'm seeing, and again, there's two key examples here with DLA and, and Treasury on this, but it is, I have yet to meet an agency, department, bureau, anything that isn't being asked to do more with less. And I don't think that's going away. And so I think there's also uh, that particular challenge, plus the fact of the, the problem or the complexity space, the complexity scale is going up on things. And so it means that we need our workforce to spend more time on, on that higher complexity, critical thinking-like function and away from these things that not only can be automated but should be automated uh, because we don't want to keep incurring the opportunity cost on uh, our civil servants and, and creating that better federal government that we all, we all want and need to happen in this environment. And really, Keith, the best thing about bots is they can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you don't, they don't need a break, they don't ever get sick, or they guess they could have a virus, but that's a whole cybersecurity discussion, right? Yeah. That, that's the one thing that, that people maybe don't, don't process immediately, but see the benefit right away. They're very versatile. <clears throat> um, you could, you know, given the, the proper policies, and uh, obviously there's some adjustments in certain areas to, to make this more flexible, but they can, they can do different things at different times. Maybe if there's one process that only occurs part, you know, at this time of day after, after business hours close, you can execute it then. And then during the day, they can do something else. They're very, very flexible, very, very versatile. If you upgrade to a new technology, a new system, uh, you can modify the, the same bot to work with that one that used to work with the old uh, version of it. It's, um, and, and they're getting smarter and smarter and harder to, to stump. Um, used to be you might need a bot that says, I'm reading this website and I'm looking for the search box in the center of the page. And then they re redesigned the web page and it moved down to the bottom. Well, the bot is smart enough to pick up that and say, I know what a search box looks like. I don't care where it is on the page. I'm going to pick it up no matter how they redesign the site. And so that used to break a bot, not so much anymore. Um, they're getting better, and that, that's what we're calling some of the AI-infused. Uh, when you break bots. a bot, does sparks fall out? Does it, you know, does it go in circles? And <laughs> if you break a bot, you're you're no worse off than you, you were, were without a bot. So uh, you haven't really lost a lot. Tim, Tim I want to bring up something because you, you then go back to something you said. Complexity of the scale of what the federal workforce is asked, being asked to do mm -hmm. is increasing. So moving them away, th that's all part of this workforce change that the bots are actually bringing. How is GAO addressing that, those challenges of the workforce? Because even though I said earlier on, people are less worried about losing their job to a bot, there's still a culture change, and you've brought that up several times. Sure. Well, GAO is, is full of highly... <clears throat> Uh, intelligent analysts. They have to deal with complex issues, not just uh, looking at a, a given agency or program, but looking at the, the broader issues going on. That That is not going to go away. So a lot of what we're taking is how do we help augment them, especially in our, again, under the leadership of our chief data scientists, our innovation lab, how do we take that information and help better convert questions to answers in less time with more incisive outcomes or greater outcomes or impact uh, to help the Congress in its oversight, insight, foresight type function. So uh, that, that's really the way we're taking it, and people are, are central to that. So it's, it's walking alongside them and with that narrative, and where there's a need to upskill, uh, to train, that cannot be overlooked and should not be under-invested uh, in, uh, as well as just recognize, again, the, the latent human capital that you have. We have digital natives now coming in uh, to our agencies, and they're used to working with 
all of these technologies in this way. They're, they're you know, I, just like my kids, I learn from them <laughs> on, on these technologies. I think that's a huge opportunity. My kids are teaching me on that, just like in a, in a generational sense, the younger uh, feds coming in, the, the news folks can start to ask questions about why are we doing it this way? Uh, it doesn't mean that you disrespect the fact that there's, there's, there may be reasons and so on, but you can at least have the space to ask that question and have a culture that asks those uh, in a safe way and then an environment to try and test things out like in an innovation sandbox type environment. We're just about out of time, but before I let the panel go, I'm going to bring John. You guys are probably further ahead in some ways and using bots in a lot of other agencies. What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest pothole that other agencies should avoid? Give me, just give me a quick 30 seconds of, of advice. Uh, so <clears throat> the big thing is uh, authentication method of your bots. We put in uh, soft, certificate, soft certificates with hardware security module. Now DOD is moving to PIV. We don't know what that's going to mean to us, so that's a challenge. The other challenge I mentioned earlier was separation of duties. Humans cannot have accounts payable roles and accounts receivable roles. That does not pertain to a bot. There is The bots will do exactly what you tell them to do, so we're pushing to have the bots to have dual roles, and that's hard for the cybersecurity folks and, and whatnot to swallow. So those are a couple of key places that uh, we're really dealing with. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is uh, bots run 24 hours a day, but systems are not always available 24 hours sure. a day. And one of the things we found important was to track also system availability, maintenance windows and whatnot. So I want to just point that out while I had a chance. That's actually a really important point because, yes, you think you can run them all day, but if the system's not, can't pull the data from it, the bot can't do its job. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're out of time. There's so many more things to talk about. So I uh, appreciate everyone's time. So first of all, let me thank my guests, Keith Nelson the Global Head of Public Sector for Automation Anywhere, Tim Persons, the Chief Scientist at the Government Accountability Office, John Felstead, the Chief of Enterprise Integration and Technology Services at the Defense Logistics Agency, and Adam Goldberg, the Executive Architect of the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Bureau of Fiscal Service at the Treasury Department. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI, sponsored by Automation Anywhere on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Automation Anywhere. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Reducing Improper Payments with Automation, Robotics, and AI, sponsored by Automation Anywhere on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. <laughs>